Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. I knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when. Earlier this month, California moved into stage two of the stay-at-home order, which, among other things, allows for social bubbles, meaning that households can open up to one other family to form a group of no more than 12 people. For the past week, we've been watching these bubbles form all around us. We've gotten texts from friends who've made trips to Tahoe with pictures of their kids playing in the lake, of friends palling around comparing COVID-19 haircuts. We're loving expanding our social bubble, one friend wrote with exclamation marks and emojis abounding. Meanwhile, Every day this past week, I've received daily emails about yet another activity canceled. There were refunds from summer camps and swimming lessons, a companion pass credited back to our account for the trip we weren't taking, rumors that if school resumes in August, it'll be part-time or with reduced class sizes or through more online learning. So when our longtime friends invited us to their cabin for the weekend, we were in a very different place emotionally than we'd been a week ago. They invited us, assuming that we'd say no. Technically, the stage two orders specify that families should be together only outside. But we'd be sleeping in separate rooms and spending almost all of our time outdoors, so this slight bending of the rules seemed justifiable. And also, after three months of canceling virtually everything we'd been looking forward to this summer, we were a little desperate. The idea of escaping for a weekend with people we loved, people we'd missed a lot during this time, whose kids were some of our kids' favorite friends, felt illicit but also incredible. We talked it over for a couple of days, weighing the pros and cons of expanding our bubble. We realized that COVID-19 wasn't the only thing we'd been distancing ourselves from during this time. We distanced ourselves from our friends, too. And we missed the connections that used to be so common. So we said yes. All week long, I worked extra hours so that I could get two days ahead with episodes instead of one. But then Thursday night, I had one of those awful nights where I tossed and turned all night when morning was a relief only because it meant that the night was over. I struggled through the next day, working slower than usual, losing the ground I'd gained. Friday night, I took a sleep aid determined to sleep better only to be awoken by my kids, who were so amped to go on the trip that they began the day squawking excitedly at 5 a.m. I struggled through the morning, alternating between attempting to work and managing overtired kids. By mid-morning Saturday, instead of feeling like I could relax for the weekend, I was exhausted and under the gun. I had hoped that the three-hour drive to the mountains would make me feel lighter, but it didn't. Many weeks ago, when I realized that this business of creating six episodes a week was going to continue for three months and counting instead of the three weeks I'd originally anticipated, I knew there would come a point when I'd feel tapped out, when I'd get tired or burnt out or just run out of ideas. No one is as surprised as me that 73 episodes later, I'm still going. I knew that I'd created my own prison, that technically I could pull the plug on this project any time. No one is forcing me to create six episodes a week or even to continue. 
I'd made up those idiotic rules all by myself. But also, this pandemic project has become so much more than I'd ever anticipated. Nate and I have spent the last three months rethinking almost everything because of it. We've realized how much we like working together, how good it is to have Nate home, how much we value prioritizing the work we care about over the work that just makes us money. We have to figure out how to pay our bills, of course, but doing this podcast together has made us realize that we might not have to choose between making a living and doing work that matters. It might be possible to have those things be one and the same. We have plans for season two, and we've known that season one would have to end at some point. But I didn't want that ending to be arbitrary. After all of this work, I didn't want to pull the plug just because I hadn't slept well for a couple of nights. By the time we got to the cabin, everyone was falling apart, including me. It was nap time anyway, so I put the kids and myself to bed. The girls conked out almost immediately, while I spent an hour drifting off to sleep, only to be continually awoken by conversations and laughter in the next room. When it was clear I wouldn't sleep, I crept out to the main room, which was quieter by then since everyone else had ventured outside. I sat on the couch and stared out the window at the towering ponderosas outside. I had work to do, but couldn't bear the thought of looking at my computer. While I'd been attempting to sleep, our friend had gone to the grocery store and gotten stuff for dinner. I knew that I should offer to cook or put away groceries or look after the kids, but I couldn't make myself do any of those things. I was completely tapped out. And so I shoved off all of that guilt and just sat there and spaced out. I sat there for probably 20 minutes. I wasn't being mindful. I wasn't meditating or praying. I wasn't having a meaningful conversation with friends or dozing off or even savoring the moment I was in. I was just sitting there like a lump on the couch, staring up at those branches silhouetted against the sky. I grew up in a house where work was the default mode, where sitting idle was a thing to be corrected. There were always dishes to clear or food to be cooked or clothes to be put away. Those values have been passed down to me, and I'm passing them along to my own children. We live in a society that prizes productivity, that rewards workaholism and imbalance as long as they produce something. Even the contemplative practices of mindfulness, prayer, and meditation have a certain purposefulness to them, a thing to focus on even as we're releasing our brains from the burdens of regular living. Prior to this pandemic, I was reading three different books about becoming more efficient, intentional, and purposeful, using apps to help me manage my finances, practice my Spanish, meditate daily, track my exercise. I was composting, decluttering, streamlining, trying to make every moment of each day count for something, to not waste anything. I'll be the first to say that there's real value in hard work, value in all of those things. Productivity and intention have their place. We'd be adrift without them. But what I needed this past weekend was not going to be fixed by an app or an intention or even a conversation. What I needed was to do nothing. I did it that afternoon, sitting on the couch, staring out the window at the trees. I did it that night, sitting in my friend's hot tub, looking up at the night sky. I did it the next day, 
on a park bench partway through our hike among ancient redwoods. I didn't try to focus on anything in particular, not even the outline of branches against the sky. I just let myself be there and not do anything. It felt selfish. It felt lazy. It felt irresponsible. And also, it felt great. I'm sure that someone out there has researched this, that there is good science to support the life-changing magic of spacing out. On any other day, I'd find that work and tell you about it. I'm resisting the urge to do that now, because as interesting as that might be, it would be one more way to busy myself, one more point for productivity. And I'll get back to those things. But if this project and this pandemic has taught me anything, it's that every day is not the same, even in this time when it's hard to see the daily differences. There are days to feel great, days to be discouraged, days to be hopeful, and days to mourn. Our ability to function well on any given day depends on so many factors, most of which we can't control. Sometimes we need to push through those hard times to find our way through the fatigue. But then there are moments when what we need is not more work, but rest. Not responsibility, but freedom. Not focus, but permission to space out. The daily gift of sanity today is one that will never impress anyone. It will not win you any awards or get people to notice you or make you seem like you've got it all together. But it's important. The daily gift of sanity today is to give yourself permission to space out, to step into the magic of doing absolutely nothing. It's a magic you'll have to experience all on your own, one that others likely won't understand, a countercultural magic that takes confidence to implement because no one will pat you on the back for it. No one except me. You might have to schedule it or even ask for permission. The work will still be there when you finish. The people you love will be there too. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can support the show by subscribing and sharing it with a friend. If you listen on iTunes, rating and reviewing this podcast helps others find it too. As always, you can find more information about today's episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Shelter in Place is proud to be sponsored by Brick and Mortar, old world style wines with California roots. Their bottled wines can be found at Michelin starred restaurants like the French Laundry in Meadowood, and you can find their canned wines at Safeway stores in Northern California. You can also order their wines online at brickandmortarwines.com. Use the code SHELTER to get 10% off and support this show. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Tamara Kimsley is our associate producer. Nate Davis is our creative director. And Sarah Edgel is our design director. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.